Ordinary morality is only for ordinary people. Aleister Crowley, The Confessions of Aleister Crowley. Violent Vice contains graphic and explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, I'm John John. Hello, and I'm Audie. And thank you for coming to Violin Vice. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and give us five stars. Just spread us to other people like you. Or, or maybe other people that aren't like you, you know. Spread the word. Get it out there. Tell your family, tell your friends if you like listening. Uh, and we hope you enjoy listening to us as well. Yeah. So, Audie, today... We have an interesting character. Ooh, who is he? Well, he, he said the quote, and that's Aleister Crowley, usually mostly associated with occult worship and also pretty big in the hippie era. He was on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Band uh, by the Beatles cover because I guess John Lennon liked him a lot. But he's he's a he's had a weird life, lot like, lot of excitement. I bet from the sounds of it. Well, yeah, I mean he he uh. Well, first off, I should say that his original name wasn't Alistair, as interesting of a name as it is. He was actually born Edward Alexander Crowley. Which oh, cool. Is sort of making him a junior because his dad was also Edward. But yeah, he was born in October 1875. So right around that Jack the Ripper era. And it was in England. Nice. In a town called Warwickshire. So much was happening in England during this time. I know. It's just insane. It is. A lot of weird things happening. Industrial Revolution will do that to you. I bet. I mean, Aleister Crowley, Jack the Ripper, spring Jack. We just love England in that era. Yeah, it was, a, it was a happening place. Probably not a good place, but a happening one. But yeah, so this young Edward was born in a pretty industrious town in England at that time. And to a particularly devout Christian parents. Uh, they were part of this brethren called the Christian Plymouth Brethren, which were like super, like a, a mix between monk and family type thing. So they only did things that were like absolutely necessary just to survive type thing, even okay. though they were super rich at the same time. So was it like a cult family or not not a cult family it well the way that they worshiped was borderline that cuz like there was no such thing as fun for him growing up that anything that seemed to be some sort of pleasure or enjoyment was considered a sin by his parents 
So they only ate just enough to survive. They only bathed just enough to survive. And they only spent enough money just to survive. So even though they were pretty well-to-do family, they were basically living in poverty by choice. Weird. So, yeah. And, I mean, when you're a young boy growing up, barely getting enough to eat, you're not going to be the best of uh, health in general. So he tended to get sick quite a lot, which led to him staying inside and reading lots of books. So despite that, he was quite well educated throughout his life, usually going to like a Trinity College in like Cambridge, as well as a few other different schools. Mostly he, he was a bookworm and you was usually picked on for his beliefs or well, his family's beliefs. So he he kind of had a troubled childhood, like morally sane, I guess. I mean, it sounds like that growing up in that environment. I mean, it's kind of just a recipe for disaster, not only for your uh, physical health, but like emotional health, too. Yeah, like for almost 15 years, he was devoid of the the concept of fun which was it, it would that i can't really imagine how that would be right like because we had fun even when we didn't know we were having fun yeah but that that's considered a sin for his family i yeah i i just can't uh imagine that because what child can't have fun that's like that's that's the point of childhood. Yeah. But yeah, essentially that was his life until his dad succumbed to tongue cancer, of all things. And this kind of led to a bit of a fracture in the family. Like he started acting up at school, his mom was grieving a good amount. And to kind of cope with that, he was sent to live with his uncle in the countryside so is not this, only sorry hmm? is this when he was 15 or is this before that uh this was right at his teens so he was 11 when his father died and within a short period he was sent to live with his uncle okay so essentially right when he's coming into puberty is when he got fresh air he was allowed to have fun not only allowed but also encouraged to usually in terms of different kinds of books he was was not allowed to read while he was growing up he was now not only encouraged but almost handed these books by his uncle who very much not a devout Plymouth Brethren Christian fundamentalist person so he was reading things he never read before his uncle took him rock climbing, which I guess is something that you do in England as a pastime, and he was actually pretty good at it. So fresh air, exercise, he was also getting enough food that would make him feel full and not just not starve. So 
all these different freedoms all getting added all together kind of put a change in his perspective mostly in his morality type of perspective he thought that because he was indulging in all of these things it was actually making him a better person because his health was improving greatly but it was also the clean air the exercise and the food but he associated it with the freedom to sin according to his parents teachings he was allowed to sin and thus felt better for it started to lead him to divert from the church teachings which didn't really help at school a lot yeah but like if you're I guess um, if you're not allowed to have like the necessities of life in order to like have a young childhood rebellions like only like the natural I, I guess um, yeah I mean he was that. He was also a teenager, which is like the period where that is known to happen. Yes, very angsty like, teen. Yeah. So after a while with his uncle, he actually started up smoking, uh, regularly did sins of the flesh type thing, mostly alone in his room, and his uncle actually took him to a brothel to lose his virginity which probably led to a lot of different things about his life later on and when he was finally returned to his mother a very different person than she had raised she ended up almost despising him and calling him the beast of Revelations, the 666-type beast. And that affected him a lot. Well, I bet, I mean, kind of disowned by your mom mm-hmm. after she gave you to her brother her I think it was, uh, yeah, brother-in-law. But, yeah, you finally get healthy you enjoy yourself, you feel good about yourself, and then your mother tells you that you're a monster. Yeah, that'll do things to you. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, there is a lot of those headbutting and just problems throughout the rest of his uh, teenage life. And then he ended up going to Cambridge University because he was so smart. And he excelled there and that is where he decided to change his name to Alistair instead of Edward because he's a different man he should have a different name and started studying very different things than he was expected to I mean he did still study theology and the Bible but more than just the Bible he started studying philosophy and occult sciences and stuff like that. At least that's where he started along those lines. And he was actually a pretty good chess player there as well. So it's hard to hard to tell what actually fully changed him into the man he became. Some say it was the syphilis that he got there, but it might have started before that. So yeah college was a time of deep exploration intellectually physically uh probably emotionally as well 
I think he came out as bisexual at that point as well. So, sort of a renaissance-type man who went through a lot of changes. One of the more famous people that came out as not straight to the public before the 1900s. So, I don't know. But... I mean, at the same time, the nice thing about college is it gives you the freedom to do that and become your own person. Yeah, and I, he definitely took advantage of that. Yeah. But, yeah, after college, he started to dive even deeper into the occult and exploring all over the place because he essentially inherited this wealthy fortune that his family was never using. He kind of used that as free reign to travel the world from like Russia to Israel to Greece, all these different places. And when he returned, he joined this fraternity order called uh, the Order of the Golden Dawn, which is an occult society, sort of looking at like that Book of Solomon type thing, all the angels and demons and all those types of occult type things started to get more of these beliefs of like guardian angels having specific names contacting them allows you to have some sort of magical ability type things and while he was in there he was a decently well-known man at the time and because he was in a secretive fraternity order he was contacted by the government to be a secret agent during that World War One era early on. That's so, cool. Yeah, right? Thing is, he wasn't all that great at it. <laughs> he, uh, he, he essentially revealed that he was being a secret agent pretty quickly after he became one to the order and the order didn't like that government didn't like that so that kind of ended pretty quick and they were starting to question his devotation to the order with that but he kept on trying to pursue all the knowledge that you could get from that or as many magical spells rituals and different things they did with those and he started to get somewhere with it, but not really far. So he uh, he ended up doing a lot of these rituals that he learned by himself because a lot of the people in the order weren't supportive of him. So they wouldn't join him for them. So he started to do them himself at this place called the Bolskine House, which he owned for a good while. And I think somebody owns that right now. I think it was on Loch Ness. Yeah, it was at Loch Ness, and I think a person from Led Zeppelin owned that house for a bit and said it was super haunted type things. That's really cool. Though, yeah. I mean, that it's, I mean, granted, World War One's not that far away, but that it's still standing in a historical yeah. Kind of haunted place. And on Loch Ness, too. I mean. Yeah, I mean, like, it's weird, creepy, and it totally fits a guy who's eccentric as all hell. 
And like I said, he did a lot of these weird rituals, most of which used psychotropic or hallucinogenic type drugs, which a lot of the people of the order thought was sort of like cheating. Like you should attain these visions and stuff through practice and meditation where he just took drugs and he got some sort of vision. And they were worried that he was accidentally letting a demon into the world because he ended a ritual before it was done and because it wasn't really doing anything for him. So when he told that to people, he thought that Perhaps he was letting more evil into the world by doing that. Which sort of caused some problems. Mostly with the order in England. And he was... He had to go to France to get approved to rise up in the ranks of Golden Dawn after that. Because the English branch didn't want him anywhere close to the more secretive things. So, just to get it kind of straightened out, the order that he was in was like a fraternity cult. The -hmm. English side kicked him out, basically. Like, I I mean, didn't kick him out of the order, but basically ostracized him. So, he had to go to France in order to learn more. Sort of. It's more like he needed approval to rise up in these ranks. And even though he did all the things that were required, the people there didn't like how he did those things. Like like I said before, using drugs and essentially not f- fulfilling everything completely and thought he was more of like a risk for the good of humanity as well as for the order itself in England. But still, he technically completed all of these trials. So instead of getting the approval from the English branch, he went to France and got the approval from the Golden Dawn there. So he could use all of the things like books, spells, and other rituals for the higher up uh, position. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, which he got pretty easily because he explained how he did everything he was supposed to. The French people were like, well, we barely know you, but you seem to have everything right. So here you go, here are some keys. And he ends up going back and essentially locking everybody else out of the lodge where they have essentially their headquarters just to get back at everybody who ostracized him. Like he locked him out, changed the locks, and they all couldn't get in until they agreed to essentially induct him into the order there in the new position. So he almost bribed or held hostage the headquarters until they agreed. So that didn't really win him more fans. Nah, a little spiteful it seems. Yeah. So eventually people in the Golden Dawn essentially excommunicated him from it which he was basically never there anymore after a good while and learning all that he wanted to so he got a little little down about that not a whole lot because he essentially got what he wanted out of it 
and you went all over the world again essentially mountain climbing seeing all these uh, sacred sites like in Mexico uh, India in France and all these different places and trying to connect with the uh, natural magics of the world type thing in all these locations which led him to create his own cult type thing calling uh, he called it uh, Thalima like that's his own religion type thing very much close to the order of the Golden Dawn but also very different in its views on morality essentially if it brings you pleasure then it's good for you type thing like very hedonistic type beliefs but also connecting to a lot of like ancient deities that were worshipped lots of which were from Egypt like Horus was his favorite of the Egyptian gods and he started writing his own books about all these magics and all these things, one of which is decently well-known. I don't know about any more, but it was very well-known before, called The Book of Law. Essentially, the laws of the universe, not just man type thing. Got it. And just to reiterate, it's called The Lima? The Lima. T-H- E L E M A. So it I don't I don't really remember what it stood for, but cuz it like it would change meanings from every person's interpretation, but it was derived from a Greek and Latin type basis. But it's his own kind of cult of becoming the most positive being you are yep. or essentially doing so through pleasure and magical empowering rituals so really building people's confidence yeah which may or may not be similar to a cult <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah and about this time is when he was first married to a Rose Edith Kelly, who he brought with him to Egypt and explored all these temples, one of which was the Temple of Horus, where they try to communicate with these old gods. A lot of people from the old occult societies would say that he was trying to communicate with demons, not angels or even God himself, thinking of very, like, black magic type stuff. So, very unapproving of him and his wife's expeditions, but they ended up sitting in this temple, taking a couple of drugs, and hallucinating. Alistair the whole time really trying to communicate with Horus, but he got essentially nothing. Meanwhile, his partner there was having a huge vision. Like someone who knows almost nothing about all these things, more of just interested in the macabre or occult type thing. 
she had a vision that she was speaking to Horus, which the next couple of days Crowley was trying to disprove this as much as possible. Like you, it couldn't have been Horus. If why would he choose you and all these things? So and, very, very jealous. Oh, did like undeniably jealous. But after these questions upon questions, all of which she had answers to, Crowley finally believed her and asked her why they didn't speak to him. And it was because he was essentially trying too hard type thing or wasn't quite ready for this experience. And uh, to kind of overcome this problem with speaking to a god he uh went into another meditative type state to speak with his guardian angel which came on uh april 8th of 1904 uh that claimed to be iwas the messenger of horus and that was his guardian angel at the same time so I don't really know how those all connect together, but somehow it did for Crowley. He's also very addicted to heroin at this point, which might explain his connections. Maybe just a little. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But after this enlightening experience, he started learning more and more and more from this Iwas messenger type person and wrote several more books including the book of law was essentially that was his inspiring moment to get that and he built his own abbey of Thelema Uh, I believe it's in Greece but essentially where everybody who he was causing to join this cult of his would gather in their own little kind of town type thing but it was all just one building on an island so that is where they did all their rituals which usually included orgies and animal sacrifice and drinking of lots of weird substances orgies yeah some of which of those cultists left and essentially almost on the equivalent of suing for reparations to their body and mental health uh, went after Crowley because in one of these rituals they had drank cat blood which caused a lot of sickness for this one person But this was not the only time that that happened. Several people said that there was a lot of weird things that didn't quite make sense. And the government in that area ended up closing the abbey down completely and blocking it off. Essentially condemning it, but without actually destroying it because of fear of the occult magics that are within. And if you want to go ghost hunting and stuff like that the abbey of Thelema 
is the place that you would want to go. And yeah, it's been sort of a pilgrimage by ghost hunters and many hippies type people uh, through the years because, I don't know, it seemed to be like a center of hedonistic belief as well as occult magics. So a weird mix between the two types of people. I I mean, that sounds like a really spooky place to go and definitely be an interesting ghost hunting trip. It, you said it was on an island in Greece? I believe so. Okay. I have just the Abbey of Thelema there, but um, I have been looking for it throughout where I got my stuff, but anyway, so a good while of these rituals, these years of occult type praying type things, and suddenly getting forced out of his abbey of occultism he went back to his homestead that he used to live at in warwickshire and essentially fell into huge poverty because he used up all of his parents money that they never spent so he was broke he was a very thorough heroin addict and was forced to live in a boarding house shortly after returning and that was his life for a good while essentially always trying to get a new heroin dose trying to write more books but usually ending in some sort of rampage through withdrawals not a lot of them coming out and there was one extremely obsessed devout fan called Deirdre McClellan who ended up essentially sponsoring and adopting Aleister Crowley and brought him to the US where she lived and helped him get past his drug addiction uh, recover from his health and raise a new family all of which led him to writing his uh, his last book of uh, Confessions of a Heroin Addict. And he spent most of his life after that just staying with Deirdre and calmly passing in his sleep later on. It was a little sad, but compared to the extravagant life that he held up until that point he 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 had a he had a good life he had a very good life i mean good for deirdre for i mean getting him back on his feet and yeah all that but yeah it sounds like he lived life to basically until he was broke and mm -hmm. tried to make like he probably would have died penniless and dead in an alley if it wasn't for deirdre so yeah yeah. What do you think? Cultist? Weird? Obsessive type person? Something else entirely? I mean, I, I think Major, like, mainly just a drug addict. He mm. hallucinated a lot on heroin. 
spent a bunch of money was probably a very like influential charismatic guy to get such a cult following and to I mean work his way up through the ranks of uh, the Golden Order was it? Uh, the Order of the Golden Dawn Order and I have to Dawn. correct myself this the last book was Diary of a Drug Fiend not Heroin Addict but that's because he was a heroin addict and a drug fiend my confusion sorry about that no worries um but yeah no i i I would attribute most of his behavior to drugs but i don't really know you know yeah well like a sort of repressed childhood sudden and extreme freedom throughout puberty most of which also involved drugs as well as a vast exploration of his sexuality and essentially being only known for this occult type following type thing as well as all of his occult books it's it's kind of a weird setup how he got from point a to point b but in a way it almost seems natural right yeah. Because everything he thought was good was making him sick. He did everything that was bad, which made him feel much better and healthier. So why not follow more into that path of everything that was supposed to be bad to him? And thus making him more well-known, well-respected, and almost fawned over by many people. It seems... Oh, a weird but natural path. I mean, I yeah, I, I can definitely see it with a repressed childhood, like drugs, and then wanting to be have a following and everything. Yeah, like you said. Yeah, I mean, his mom calling him a straight up monster out of the Bible after he feels so much better and is healthy again. That just has to mess with you so bad. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's the major turning point, but that was a that was probably like an inside out. What that's a core memory right there. Yeah. 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 But what do you think, Audie? If you were back in the nineteen hundreds, well, early nineteen hundreds, we were in the nineteen hundreds, but we were children. Yeah. But if. You were your age now while he was in the height of his, essentially, renown, I guess, would be the word. But would you be interested in reading up on his stuff, maybe even joining his thing? Um, I'd have to, like, put it in a bit of context. So, like, if I had the internet and could really well research this person and, like, know what he was all on and, like, what he all did beforehand, I would say no. Like, I would still read his stuff, but I would say no. If mm-hmm. I didn't have that readily available, read his stuff and seemed interested in it and met, actually met the guy, and if he was charismatic, I would, you know, maybe think about it. I, I don't know what really like all of his teachings and everything to yeah align with that but you know it would just have to be circumstance but i would definitely read his stuff because you know i'm an avid reader and 
Mm-hmm. It's definitely interesting. And this is all happening during World War One, the Great Depression, and World War Two. So the world is basically ending, and this guy mm. has a bunch of answers. Or at least he says he has a bunch of answers. So, And occasionally proclaiming himself to be that 666 beast as well. Because the church didn't like the occult and he didn't like the church. So it was yeah, it is a weird situation. Like a lot of people thought the world was going to end. And they just wanted to be part of that story. And I think uh, he was sort of a way of bringing those people into the that story. But, I mean, the world didn't end, so... No, it didn't. Kind of disappointing for some of them, I imagine. I bet. But most cults, like, say, oh, like, the world is gonna end, and, like, this is your salvation. Or at least the cults that I read about, because, I mean, either the leader was crazy or everyone ended up dead, but... Mm-hmm. You know. Still, it's, it's it's a pretty impressive resume to have for uh, one person. No, it is. And he was highly educated. He seemed very, very smart, too. Mm-hmm. Especially with all the reading he did. Like, he was in a chess club. He was good at chess as well, which I associate with smart people. And, I mean, he graduated from Cambridge, which is supposed to be a pretty... Prestigious school. It's like like Oxford, Harvard, I guess Cambridge is supposed to be sort of like the MIT of England type thing. Like if I'm going to compare the schools where Oxford is England, Harvard is US, MIT is US, Cambridge is England yeah. type comparison. Yeah. Like I think I think I have that comparison pretty good, but I'm pretty sure somebody from England that will hear this eventually will correct me thoroughly if I'm wrong. And we just hope that you find our ignorance charming, because you know, two country bumpkins trying to do a podcast. Yeah, I mean, we're mostly talking about heroin addicts lately, to be honest. At least I am. Like the last three people, all of them. Yeah. No. No, you are right. it's just like I have that written on three different pages for all my notes I'm just like well maybe I have a type I don't know if I like this type (laughs) well it's better than serial killers Uh, that's fair yeah I mean I I don't know if I prefer one drastically over the other I would prefer the heroin addict more than the serial killer but I, I, I don't know. Some of them serial killers have that respectable life to them as well, which makes it scary. But at least you don't end up dead. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I have for today. What do you think, Audie? A little more? Um, I think I can take us out for today and close out this episode so alrighty if you guys like what you heard and you want to hear more you can subscribe to us file and vice podcast 
if you guys have any spooky stories or true crime stories you'd like to share and have read on the air at some point, please email us at violinvice at gmail.com. That is V-I-L-E-A-N-D-V-I-C-E at gmail.com. No ampersands here. If you guys want to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, it's Vice Podcast. And we are also on Twitter at Vice. And if you wanted to follow me on Twitter, it's at Audio Elizabeth. I just basically retweet all the Violent Vice stuff anyway. So. Spread the word. Yeah. You go, sister. (laughs) (laughs) Spread the word to your guys' friends, too. If you guys really like the podcast, I mean, we'd appreciate it. And we want to give a shout out to our patron of the week, which is Brianna Griffith, who is supporting us on patreon and if you want to be like brianna and go above and beyond and help out the podcast monetarily you can go to patreon.com slash vice and you can donate at any amount we really really appreciate it and five dollars and above gives you a bunch of bonus content like more black eyed kids stories some bloopers in the future and maybe even some other stuff i'm working on in the background yeah, and to be honest, she, Brianna's a bit hard to beat. She is Alaskan, so, you know, and our keep cousin. that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> and our cousin, who is amazing and helped me out on some of the Irish family history when I covered Grace O'Malley, so she's awesome. Big help. So, but thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thank you guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Reback. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash violinvice or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming. Thank you.